With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to England Cricket on 99.94, the home of cricket audio. I'm Daniel Norcross from Test Match Special, from BT Sport, from Wisdom Cricket Monthly, from Zero Ducks Given, a podcast with Toby Tarrant and Stephen Finn. And I am joined by, well, one of the most notorious men in the British press pack, Rory Dollard, Chief Cricket Writer <laughs> of the Press Association. We are your home for everything England cricket related, and we will be right here several times every week discussing exactly that. You can find us in your favourite podcast places on YouTube or in our 99.94 app. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation today. We are going to be talking about identity, the identity of this England test team that has gone from, uh, well, zero to hero, having won just one in 17. They won six in seven matches in this English summer, quite extraordinarily. How identity affects, say, the chances for certain batters in England. Are they more or less likely to attract the eye of the selectors? And we'll also cast our eye over the bowlers as well with the same thing in mind. And Rory, um, the reason I want to talk about this is because I found myself in deep and lugubrious conversation with the man we call The Undertaker, the chief cricket writer at the BBC, Stefan Schemmelt. And I was trying to say, I was trying to ask, does this prove that Joe Root wasn't a good captain, that Chris Silverwood wasn't a good coach, because very much the same players are turning out for England and they're getting completely different results. And he said, I don't think it does, really. I think what it what it proves is that England have forged an identity, an identity that they didn't have before, partly perhaps because personnel changes, because of COVID, but also because, you know, what did that England team stand for? This England team, you know full well what it stands for. It stands for... Aggression. It stands for taking wickets at, at, at the cost of anything else, regardless of how far behind the game they are. There are four slips in place or there are funky fields to tail-enders. And when they go out to bat, England, when faced with a mammoth total of 550 at Trent Bridge or uh, needing 378 to win at Headingley, go on the attack. That's what they do. Um, that I, I, I was sort of taken by that as a theory. Do, do, you, do you think there's something in that? Yeah, I do. I think it's been quite apparent that this team feels different. The results are different for sure. You know, the the, the the flipping results is is undeniable. But it doesn't. It's not as though it's the same people doing the same things with better outcomes. You know, the the, the game and the group feels different. And and we have heard a lot of that from the people. Stuart Broad, who's played forever, saying it's the most fun he's ever had. Jimmy Anderson. Once in a while, smiling. I've seen it. I've seen it myself with my own two eyes. He has smiled this summer. There are there are good things going on, and and it does feel like we know who this team are when they win. I don't know that we know who they are when they lose yet. They have lost once, but it hasn't really stuck to them. They haven't lost a series. They haven't lost two in a row. They haven't lost over a, a hard tour where they're in hotels and and not able to get back home and enjoy the comforts. So we're not quite certain 
We're not certain how they're going to lose yet. And I'm sure they don't want to find out. But there's no doubt about that it's very clear. And the, the respective captains from the opposition this year have engaged with England in a way, Dean Elgar most obviously, and have been kind of sucked into their, I don't know, battling on their terms a little bit. India fought England on their terms a little bit. And that's that's a real a real sign, I think, that there is some some identity in there, some core value that is that is knocking around because it gets into the other team's mindset as much as it does to to the people in your own dressing room. And we know that this and it, it, a lot of it's Ben Stokes. A lot of it is that warrior figurehead, and, uh, and I suppose any captain who strides out with Ben pretty much knows that that what his word is law and, and the team will be you know going where he points yes i mean I, there's a, yeah there's a lot to unpick there though isn't there because the identity of ben he's he's been in england teams for a long time and he's led from the front on a number of occasions he's played inspirational innings he's had inspirational spells but the rest of the team hasn't necessarily sort of come in behind that identity you know um, the likes of Burns and Sibley opening the batting last year against New Zealand. That's sort of the biggest contrast and the biggest change in personnel as well, you'd have to say, with, um, with a very different opening partnership of Crawley and Lees. But the fact that they didn't try to get 270-odd in mm. 75 overs against New Zealand in a game that didn't count towards the World Test Championship, it's unthinkable that Stokes' team wouldn't try. I mean, the, the madness of the, the, the final test a game that was scheduled only to last three days because the first two days were were lost, didn't even look like it was going to go into that third day because when faced with 130 to win, which, let's face it, in a game when only one person had got a half century up to that point, Ollie Pope, you might have thought in times gone by would have been a tricky run chase. I think back to Andrew Strauss's side at Abu Dhabi when faced with a similar sort of chase, wasn't it? Around oh, yeah, about 120 yeah. or so. Fell in a heap. Folded for, yeah, but they but they took a long time to to fall. It was, you know, all out for 70-odd in, in 50-odd overs. You know, they crawled while they fell. Whereas <laughs> this England team will absolutely leap off the balcony <laughs> when they fall. Um, and, and what they cho- chose to try to do was to win the game in an hour and a half. I mean, that is the kind of identity that, I don't think we've ever seen before. I mean, this is the kind of, you know, t- test cricket is there and has five days sort of for a reason and players keep talking about that and they say, well, we don't we don't need to go out and get 130 in an hour and a half because we've got all of the fifth day and the weather forecast looks quite good. And I can't think of any other side of world cricket in the history of world cricket that would have gone after a very good pace bowling attack on a pretty tricky surface with a hard new ball as the light was getting worse and worse, with a bit of moisture around, and go, we've got to try and knock this off now. And then when they go off for bad light, go, oh, what? Bad light? I was going to say, Ben, ben Stokes' reactions this summer, be it turning round on the balcony when they came off for bad light, with the game, 100% locked up and sorted. He looked like someone had just kicked his cat. You know, he was really furious. <laughs> Earlier in the summer, he, he was telling the players, I think it was Edge Baston, where he said, let's finish this tonight with the extra half hour and they were chasing some yep. completely improbable equation. And, and he wasn't, he wasn't about managing the percentages. He was like, you know, this thing has got to be put to bed. He wants, to, he wants to get things to their conclusion all the time. And and that's where it is coming from. He has been in the team a long time. 
Ben, but he's, he hasn't been the one setting, setting the agenda and setting the rules of, of engagement. He is now, and the rules of engagement are blindingly clear. He wants to win. He wants to win fast, and he's kind of prepared to lose. I sort of wonder if half, half the reason he wants to win fast is because five-day test cricket is really taking a toll on his body. I mean, it was noticeable that he didn't bowl in the first innings when there might have been moments when he might have done, actually. There was a sort of moderately sticky partnerships. Um, Janssen got involved at one point, didn't he? And he might have brought himself on then, but he didn't. He held himself back. And then he, he went for it when he felt he had to, only when South Africa got ahead of the game, actually, when that first wicket partnership erased the deficit of 40, went past England, and they looked in trouble. He goes, OK, I'll have to bowl now. Got the breakthrough in his, what, second ball? <laughs> Caught at first. It was absolutely preposterous. So, um, look, there's... there's there, I, I'm still utterly befuddled by it and loving every minute of it. And I think the ultimate emblem of England's identity is that on that second night, or the fourth night, if you like, of that test match, Stuart Broad, the Nighthawk, was padded up. Because if a wicket went down, they go, right, fling the bat, he might get 15 and over and we're virtually over the line. I mean, that is invention. They're messing with us at this point. I think Stuart Broad, the Nighthawk, is already ever going to be a theoretical concept. Like, he's going to chuck it out and... As I know, they know the cameras are looking for the pads to be on, on Stuart's legs, don't they? But... Yeah, I think it's also worth just just noting and just flagging that I think England evolved and developed the blueprint that they worked up against New Zealand and India a little bit in this series against South Africa. I think they played a little more carefully at times, a little more pragmatically at times, and they finished every game in a hurry. You know, the, the, the numbers, the bare numbers of how long these games took don't tell you that. But we, but you know, watching the thing, England did just add another layer to it, which said, "Okay, we we will sit back, but only because we feel that sitting back allows us to go hard in a minute." Oh well, just to put some numbers onto that, it was the third shortest three-match series, which hasn't been massively affected by rain. We're discounting the one between India and New Zealand that was scheduled for a monsoon. All three matches ended in double quick time. The only two that were shorter. We're in 1888, the most notorious of short series of all time, an Ashes series in England, which uh, was played on terrible pitches with very fine boulders. And I believe 1901-2. So, uh, yes, what we were watching was not unprecedented, but it was absolutely extraordinary. Now, 99.94 is more than just this podcast. Jared Kimber has Red Inca and Double Century, one show that talks about the modern global game, the other that's a deep dive into our sports history. And Double Century will now appear weekly. But there is also our expanding network of teams, England, South Africa, India, West Indies, and now the Sri Lankan Show. If you want to find them, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM, downloading our app, or Google 99.94 Podcasts. So, Rory, with this in mind, with this devil-may-care identity, this one of chest-out strutting, um, almost almost hyper-aggression, who are the winners and losers in this? Let's look at the batting first. Now, I'm not going to take issue with what you said about how they'd slightly changed their approach, but I would say that maybe in the second test, there was a slight difference of approach, and Ben Folks and Ben Stokes had that lengthy partnership. How much of that was enforced by Stokes's knee locking up so he couldn't charge mm. down the wicket? We may never know. Uh, but actually, in the last test, with um, South Africa pulled out for 118, they decided to go gangbusters. They didn't say, oh, do you know, 
we could bat for one day and one session at a normal pace. We'd have 400. We'll bowl them out. We'll win by an innings because mm-hmm. we'll have plenty of time to do that. They didn't. They went hard. And Ollie Pope went hard. Ollie Pope at number three. But a different kind of hard, in fairness, a sort of bustling hardness. Um, he looks to me to be a guy that they will be delighted with. You know, the, the raw numbers for, for batters one to four across this summer have been pretty poor because it's been very difficult to bat against a new ball. He's ended up the summer with an average of 38. No one's going to, you know, call him the greatest player of all time with that. But by comparison with the other top four batters, you know, Joe Root notwithstanding, that that is quite a performance from him. Um, Root playing reverse flicks at uh, Trent Bridge, you know, in that crazy innings, in that crazy stand he had actually with with Pope at Trent Bridge on the road. Um, Crawley, Lees, they clearly loved the way they came out and bashed it two occasions. One at Headingley when they needed 370-odd to win. One at the Oval when they needed 130. Contrasting targets, but the same approach, and that's when they got the best out of them. So you could see those kind of guys um, being happy with this new identity. But if you're Dom Sibley or you're Rory Burns, is it time to put your cap into a little glass case, hang your shirt up <laughs> inside a frame and bung it in your study? The story's not told yet. I don't know. But I think Sibley's been given a, a nod that he has a chance because they kept him around in that Lions group that played South Africa. Uh, Brendan McCullum went to see that game, spoke to the players. You know, he, he, he spoke to them because he wanted them to listen and wanted them to hear. And that, mean, that means Dom Sibley has a chance. And he did, and he has shown at times, a willingness to, to open up a little bit. And his, his record in the county championship is good enough that we might think he, he has a chance. But he has, to, he has to train on. The idea that England took to Australia, Sibley, Burns, and then went to Hasib Hamid on the back of him playing the longest, grittiest, most stoic, diligent innings in, in county championship history or something for Nottinghamshire. That one's gone. People aren't gonna people aren't gonna be pricking up Ben Stokes's ears by batting defensively for a day in a rear guard. That isn't how people are gonna get in. So Ben Compton can forget about it. Would then. be very surprised if Ben Compton features. It's it, that is funny because I remember in Cape Town a couple of years ago Ben Stokes was absolutely effusive about Dom Sibley's real go slow hundred in that in that victorious effort in Cape Town. He stuffed his Man of the Match award into Dom Sibley's bag that day. Uh, Stokes got the Man of the Match award for batting dynamically and then coming back on with the ball and finish things and doing his old Superman routine. And and it, it, Dom Sibley revealed that. Ben had, had stuffed the man of the match award into his bag because he said, "You did this. You know, you you got us into this spot." And that does show that that, that Stokes, or the Stokes of a couple of years ago, values that stuff or understands how to value that stuff. So we might find that there's that there is a spot or a space at some point, but it isn't where they're going now because uh, I spoke to Alex Lees. I remember in the gap between uh, before this test series, after the initial block of four, and before this one. And I said, uh, you know, like, what, what did they leave you with? What did they leave you with to work on when you go back to Durham to sort of to, to base yourself around? And he said, he said, Ben, uh, ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum told me to 
get in everyone else's ear and tell them to catch up. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> you know, he, he said he was he said he was almost he almost had a, a job to spread the word in the Durham dressing room and say, you know, you've you've seen what you have to do. This this is it. This is this is this is what this is what they want you to do. So that that is for certain. And McCullum has said that as well. And, and Stokes has said it. He said that he, it's because he says it's apparent for county cricketers what it's going to take to get into this team. And I don't think it means do it every time. It doesn't mean you have to score at a strike rate of 150 permanently, but I think you have to have to show them that you've got that gear. Because if you haven't got that gear, they're going to get into chases, they're going to get into match situations where they can't use you. And so someone like Rory Burns is the one that, that most intrigues me here because you know he's been the heaviest scoring opener for England since Alistair Cook's debut. By quite a quite a margin as well, actually. He continues to score runs in county cricket. He tends to, at any rate, when he has lots of games back to back. He can get into a groove, but it's it's a groove that's played at Rory Burns' pace. Um, he kind of bats the Rory Burns way every time he'll play. Now, when he, when he's in good form, that means he scores a little bit quicker. And when he's in poor form, or when he's not played for a while, um, you know, he doesn't. And that's pretty normal for cricketers, isn't it? I mean, that's pretty much how it how you would expect it's it to form, be. Called form, isn't it? I think that. And yet, <laughs> I think it is. I think it is called form. But it turns out that form is less important than intent. And you know, Crawley is a really good example of this. It was so baffling watching Crawley's two previous innings to his final innings, the thirty-eight in the innings victory, which took over a hundred balls, and then the five in the first innings, when everybody else on the side seemed to be trying to get on with it faced with that score of 118, Crawley was diligently scratching around and denying himself a bunch of relatively full-length balls outside the off-stump, refusing to go after them, which was very un-Crawley-like. Then, when the target was 130, he went, oh, dash it, I'm going for it. Now, that innings could, could very well have earned him at least a year's central contract, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Crawley thing, at various points this summer people have expected him to be dropped because that's been the normal way of things. He was he was the person with a longer tail of form than Alex Lees. Alex Lees' numbers aren't vastly better, to be honest. But Crawley has been around for you know X amount of games, a couple of years, and it wasn't going well. So he, therefore, ergo, he is the guy who has to get dropped. But, but Stokes, Stokes and McCullum never once gave a hint that that was the case. They said, we've got, we've got this guy picked out. And, and we've said before... The way he can play, as I say, you've got to show them you've got the gears. Well, he has done. He's got the gears. And he's probably got more gears than any other opener, red ball opener in England. I, I, I don't know. He, he probably can get up to those higher levels more so than anyone I can easily think of. So they just decided to, especially because they had a highly productive middle order, they just saw no reason to to cut the knees out from beneath him and and get into his head. They backed him. They told him, basically, he was playing all summer, and here we are. He's ended on a bit of a high. I still don't think the the, the fan base as a whole gets it. Social media and my WhatsApp feed <laughs> is lit up with dubious stuff. But mm, I bet. <laughs> I did, I did yeah. <laughs> yeah, but don't go any further into that. <laughs> but, you know, I did say earlier, doors in this podcast that I was, I could see and understand what they had in Crawley. They have a player who, at his best, is their perfect pick at the top of the order and plays in a way that very, very few people do in England. So I thought he would get a long, a long leash. And as you say, he's 
he's done enough probably to to see it through. Pakistan could be some friendly conditions. Maybe this Crawley dropping isn't coming, guys. Mm. Well, do you know, I think if you want to judge for yourself who are likely to be the winners and losers in this new England setup from a batting point of view, you just have to take a look at the selection of Ben Duckett. A man forgiven for an indiscretion of just pouring some water over Jimmy Anderson about five years ago, which seems to have counted against him, who was deeply unfortunate to have been selected to open the batting in Bangladesh on ragging turners and have to face Mahadi Hassan with the ball turning away from him. Um, he is an aggressive opening bat. And when they looked to, to find a replacement for Johnny Bairstow, um, Harry Brook came into the squad and Ben Duckett came into the Well, Harry Brook was in the squad, but Ben Duckett came into the squad. It wasn't Burns who was scoring runs. It wasn't Sibley. It wasn't Hamid. They went for that. So, look, judge for yourself. And if you are a would-be England cricketer, I think you've got enough to go on there in the selection of Ben Duckett to know what it is that they're looking for. By which I mean, you don't have to be five foot seven and left-handed, but <laughs> uh, you need to have, have a look at the way Ben Duckett bats. Now, if you love cricket and you want to hear more, head over to the 99.94 app. You can hear all our podcasts and our commentary. We are the home of Cricket Audio online and we're adding new shows and covering series all the time. The best way to follow us is via our app or on social media at 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. So look, we looked at the batters. I think it's a lot, lot harder to work out what it means for bowlers. Now, I I certainly, I mean, in in a summer in which all of my predictions have gone pretty much wrong, I didn't see Matt Potts getting into the side. Uh, He did, and he was exceptional. If you look at the numbers that England's bowlers have put out there, you know, Jack Leach took 10 for at Headingley. So I think we can be fairly assured that he's the spinner that they're looking for. Um, Stuart Broad was at 29 wickets at 26, 27. Um, Jimmy Anderson, 27 wickets at 17. He played one test match fewer. And then if you combine Potts and Robinson, they took more actually than Broad and more than Anderson. And if you see them as as one person for seven, that says it all, doesn't it? We we, we have to find two players to match up to those guys. That's right. If you want somebody to compare Jimmy Anderson, you better have at least two of them. (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much. But between those two, though, they picked up thirty-two wickets. A resurgent Robinson, an eye-opening Potts, who was terrific in the four tests that were played back to back when he hadn't played red ball cricket for a while. He looked a little bit scratchy, in fairness, in in the one defeat that England had, but. It's hard for me to work out precisely what this new approach, this new identity means for bowlers. You know, if Joffre Archer was available you, uh, and fit, firing and ready, you would imagine that's exactly the kind of bowler that Ben Stokes would want. I think the same would go of Mark Wood as well, mm. which would then mean you'd have a problem on your hands because <laughs> Robinson ain't going anywhere. He's just started opening the bowling. The Nighthawk ain't going anywhere. We think he might be the vice captain, but no one knows. And Jimmy Anderson sure as hell isn't going anywhere because he just seems to get better and better. So I, I don't know. Let's 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 take a look at, at bowlers out there who might be sort of Stokes McCullum worthy. Yeah. Well, I mean, first things first. With the injury problems England have had this year, they're never ever ever going to be worried about having too many of them because they've seen how quickly how fragile that resource is. So especially when one of them's in his 40s, one of them's 36 and 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 probably as close to the end as Jimmy, one way or the other, Stuart, but they're not going to worry about too many. And, and actually, I think, I think the 
the philosophy that they've got in this team with this leadership group is really, really simple with ballers, actually. And it isn't, it doesn't have to be overthought at all because you haven't seen anyone ball like Mark Wood is going to ball when he's back. But that's fine because there's no real, there's not a prescriptive element to it, I don't think. I think it's just let's get wickets, get, let's get wicket taking opportunities. How do you do that? And, and bowlers have a different answer to that. So when Ollie Robinson comes in, just go and do your Ollie Robinson stuff. And, and if, that get, if, if we can help you with the fielding, help you with the approach, the guy at the other end can back you up, that's what we'll do. But for you, you just find your wicket-taking balls and get as many of them sent down as you can. And that'll be the same. I mean, Archer, Archer, this could be really what he's looking for because if and when he gets back into a test match team and we really, really hope it's the Ashes and that there's another Ashes in his future... England won't be, I don't think this England team will be misunderstanding him or misusing him, getting him to battering ram and hit people on the head just because he can. I think they'll be saying and looking really quite deeply and saying, how do you get your wickets? And it might be that he's he, he nicking a bunch of people off at a really decent pace. He doesn't have to be hitting their ribs and getting armpits swollen up and causing mayhem. And Mark Wood is similarly, if he gets in the team, they'll just be looking at the best way he can get into people. And he showed in the ashes at Hobart in that last game, particularly, that he knows he's got a plan that can get him there. So they will have to you know, manage the team in and out in terms of they can't get all of them on the pitch at the same time. But I think each of these guys is, is good enough and experienced enough that they have a plan to take wickets. And we know that Stokes will just back that plan to the hilt. And that hasn't always been the case. I, I do think there is one little clue that we can glean from the way Stokes operated throughout this summer. And part of it was a function of the ball going softer, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, but the other part of it is an actual philosophy, which is, I say philosophy, it's a slightly overblown word <laughs> for a tactic. But uh, it is that once they got down to number eight or number nine, and England have struggled to blow it away tails before... They've gone for the short ball approach. And Stokes had to do it quite a lot of the time. Um, Broad did it a fair bit. Anderson, that's not his baggage. It's not Robinson's baggage. Uh, but Potts was asked to do it a little bit occasionally. They would love to have an express pace bowler. Y- yes, to nick people off at the top of the order. But once number eight walks out to bat, or number nine, out goes the funky, crazy field that Stokes has pre-planned and used on numerous occasions this year. But with somebody bowling at 90 miles an hour, that plan might actually work more fruitfully and more quickly. And, and that's what he's after, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is because they would like, certainly in different conditions, to have a different, a different road to go down. We've, we have, and we have for some years, got away with a, a broad Anderson, Walks, Robinson, whoever it might be. But we, we are only a couple of years down from deciding definitively that a little bit of pace in the attack would really be necessary to to expand that to overseas victories, to the beating the very, very best teams when they're on it. And that hasn't changed. Nothing about that has changed. So they will be looking. I did mention him last week uh, or earlier this week, and I really do think with what with what he's doing across the format at the moment, Sam Cook's going to have to have a, it's going to have to get into that setup and they're going to have to have a look at him. Because he's not, he's not the express guy. He's not going to knock people's heads off 
blow stumps out of the ground. But he's in that zone. He's in that Robinson zone from a couple of years ago where he's just in a real reliable groove. And he's of a good age that we might, he might be someone we see a bit of in the post Anderson Broad, uh, whenever that comes, you know, it, who knows if that'll ever come. Uh, but on the understanding that, that they won't be knocking around in their 50s, Cook, Cook could find himself a little route in there. Whether Chris Walks comes back long term, I don't know. It's harder to see after the time he's spent out whether Chris Walks has a sort of a, a long term shot in this team. But but with the tail they've got, his batting always counts for him. I think basically what I'm, what I'm saying is England would really, really love to find a 95 mile an hour bowling all rounder who can get hundreds. So that should be easy enough. Yeah, well, I think on that note, if you are out there and you are considering a career in Test cricket for England, uh, the advice from Rory Dollard, <laughs> 95 miles an hour, and make sure you can score Test match hundreds. Um, we're going to leave it there. We will be back uh, shortly. We've got England women playing against India at the moment in a three-match T20 series, followed by a three-match ODI series. We'll be taking a look at that in due course. And we'll be looking forward to England's T20 series in Pakistan, a historic tour that England are going to undertake. They play seven matches beginning on the 20th of September. Thanks for listening to England on 99.94. Please rate, review and subscribe. You can download the 99.94 app from where you get your apps. And you can follow us personally on Twitter at Norcross Cricket and at the RVD, which is Rory's Twitter and Instagram. That's T-H-E-R-V-D. Of course, Rory was going to be difficult. We'll put links up for everything we do there. Remember, if you love cricket, then 99.94 is the home of Cricket Audio. Follow them for podcasts and commentary from the world of cricket. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with breslow the business of sports betting podcast